Hello, and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast. I am Josiah. And I'm Jessica. We were missionaries for seven years. Until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs. Right now, I'm a Christian, but not an evangelical. And I'm an agnostic and also very much not an evangelical. And we are deconstructing and reconstructing together. together. Listen to some of our key episodes, such as Deconstructing Together, Domestic Abuse, I Am a Survivor, The Cult of ATI Part 1 and 2, and Dehumanized by Purity Culture. Join us on our journey as we seek health together. together. And today with us, we have Marc-Henri Sandoz uh, Paradella. Did I say your name right? <laughs> Yes, indeed. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, it's a true French accent. That was great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Marc-Henri, you're from Switzerland, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And he wrote, he's the author of the book, Toxic Jesus, A Journey from Holy Shit to Spiritual Healing. And I love that. I love your book. Um, I read it in December. And just really, really blessed by it, really um, touched me right where I need it in my journey. Um, and, and I also love the title, <laughs> Toxic Jesus, A Journey from Holy Shit to Spiritual Healing. <laughs> that says it well. Um, I love how you used your own personal journey and wove it through with exposing the toxic Jesuses that we bring into our spirituality um, and explain them and how to bring healing to it. Um, it's just really, really well done. Um, I don't know if you wanted to talk briefly about your journey. Hmm. Yes, of course I can. You know, it's really, like you said, a journey from holy shit to spiritual healing. And the holy shit part begins with my family of origin. My, both my parents were very conservative evangelicals. And much later, obviously, I realized how much they were using their faith and their involvement in the church to, to avoid deep anxiety. And especially for my father, a kind of, you know, low level depression that was with him during all his life. Mm. And that was coming from very deep traumas that both of them had endured during the war time. Uh, so I grew up in this family and I grew up in, you know, the idealized perfect evangelical family. And during this time, without knowing it, I had to swallow a lot of poison that had a very deep influence on over all my life. Mm. And I think I was quite sensitive and I could feel the, the, the frailty that my parents were hiding behind the very strong image they were projecting onto the world. You know, my, my father was a teacher. He was director of a college, of a gymnasium. He was an elder in the church. He was preaching. He was very impressing. He had a big bird. Everybody was coming to him for asking for advice and prayer. And, you know, and my mother was a teacher 
for children and she was always very sure that she was doing things perfectly. But the, this frailty was here. And, you know, in, in families, we often choose roles. I choose the role of the one who had to uh, keep things together. And my sister chose the role of the one who is manifesting the problems. So yes. I became uh, an evangelical pastor and she became a schizophrenic and she was diagnosed mm. at 30 years old, but after a long journey of pain and uh, hiding her uh, difficult episode and psychotic mm. breakdowns and all of, the, all of it. So I became an evangelical pastor on this uh, ground. Mm-hmm. And in the same time, I became an evangelical pastor because I had a kind of spiritual sensitivity. I was very uh, driven to the figure of Jesus. It was very important for me. And I, I can say I, I found some, some good things and I had some good experiences in the church and it helped me to grow. It protected me from part of my despair and part of the very difficult atmosphere that was into my family. Uh, the church at, at some time became a kind of refuge for me. Mm-hmm. And okay, I became, but, but I had to ingest really and to, to yes, to, 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 to swallow a lot of toxicity. You are going to see it later in the, in the journey, but Okay, so I became a pastor. I was a pastor in an evangelical church for 15 years. And I was, I think, quite a good pastor. I was quite successful. (laughs) People were happy. The youth group was growing. The church was growing. People were giving their teeth. And (laughs) you say that? Ties. 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 (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I'm French speaking in the origin. I come from Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) And we were a team of pastors. Uh, It was really okay, in a sense. But little by little, I began to realize that something was wrong. In my own beliefs, I was beginning to see more clearly what I described to you this question of frailty of my parents, my own anxieties and wounds that I was using a religion to hide and some things that uh, in a sense helped. I was beginning to realize how much unhappy I was and how much I was unhappy in my relationship with my now ex-wife who was obviously also an evangelical girl, because it was impossible to marry somebody that was not from this background. And I think faith was quite kind of the the cement that was uh, uh, keeping our couple together. But okay, little by little, I was facing the fact that something was wrong. And I began to ask questions. And I began especially to realize that at the core, of my faith and at the core, maybe still more of the church I was pastor in, 
what I was seeing was fear and the need to build walls and to, to draw clear lines between us and the others mm -hmm. and between us and what we were calling the world. Mm -hmm. And it was so much fear around that, so much fear that the world could influence our teenagers, that the world could... Uh, we had to be so clear about who was saved and who was not. Mm -hmm. And at, at, a, at a moment, I began to wonder about when we are so happy because somebody converts, when somebody becomes a Christian like us, is it really because we love these people or is it because it confirms us in what we believe? And, mm -hmm. you know, I was beginning to have very difficult questions and I was beginning to question the legalism, the, the guilt, a lot of things. And I was still very much a Christian and an evangelical Christian. And I had this idea that I could help my church to evolve. And at a moment, I really realized that this wasn't going to happen. And I was limiting myself in my freedom to ask this question and to go as far as possible with these questions because of my role as a pastor, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. My, my salary, my money was depending on my role. So, okay, I could ask a question, but, but just in a certain amount of freedom and space. So when I realized that, I decided, okay, I've got to quit. And for me, it was not quitting my faith or quitting uh, Jesus or, or Christianity, but it was really quitting this role as a pastor. And okay, I decided, I told my council of elders that I wanted to leave and I, I asked them just to give me six months to look for a job, which was very difficult because <laughs> pastor and theologian are not uh, very uh, requested on the work market. <laughs> <today>. Yes. <laughs> yes. But okay, I left. And from the moment I took this decision, I saw these questions, you know, coming and coming and growing. And I really began to, to deconstruct so much quicker that I would have expected mm -hmm. to the point that I couldn't even imagine to go to the church. And, you know, I entered in a phase of around 10 years, really of agnosticism, deep doubts, low level depression, but in the same time, a very, very rich time because I, for the first time in my life, had this freedom to ask questions, mm -hmm. to, to see on what values and what important things my life had to be constructed. You know, I had to, to <laughs> to lay new foundations in every domain because everything had been given me by this Christian culture and education and I had to find it for myself. So it was great. It was uh, an incredibly intense time and in the same time, very difficult because 
it was finding new job, uh, which was difficult, finding a job that was much less rewarding. That's my, my job as a pastor in the narcissistic sense, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, it was facing the fact that my couple was not holding together anymore and that I was totally codependent and that our relationship was not healthy. So I decided to divorce and okay, long time of, um, well, I, I can't say it without exaggerating, you know, this, this, this expression of the dark night of the soul. It was something yeah. like that really. Mm. And um, I thought I had really turned my back on all the evangelical faith. I learned to meditate. I became a meditation teacher. I began to practice yoga, which I discovered through my now wife, Evelise. And, you know, I, I had quite an interesting life. And, um, yeah, maybe I can speak about it because it's important. I thought that everything was behind me and I was quite comfortable with my new life and new way of thinking and new spirituality where I was keeping a, a, bit, of, um, a bit of Christianity. And in the same time, I was quite, yeah, I could say that agnostic. And um, something very uh, unexpected and difficult happened. I broke my leg. And this made me go back in my memory so long ago, because when I was nine years old, I had broken this leg for the first time. And it was because of a genetic disease. And it was, uh, it's something that, has been very, very painful during all my childhood and teenage years because, uh, because of this genetic disease, my leg was fragile and growing in a different uh, rhythm than the other leg, so I was lame. So it was a lot of problems around this leg. And at the moment, my father decided that I had to go and see a healer that was specialized in fixing uh, uneven legs. And we went in this uh, meeting and I, the, the, the healer, uh, it, it was a very dramatic event. I, I had to prepare myself for it. I was believing it with all my heart and the healer made his calling to healing. And I came in front of the scene and everybody uh, saw him heal my legs, fixing the legs, everybody applauded, and I was so happy to have been healed by Jesus and so on. And the day after we went to the doctor and the doctor said, okay, it's not healed. The leg is still uh, uneven, the leg is still fragile, the genetic disease is still here. And, you know, I had totally to repress everything that was so uh, difficult to swallow in this situation. I had to, yeah, to repress the, the grief, the, the sadness, the anger. And especially, I had to make an unconscious choice at this moment. And it was the choice to decide, okay, 
I'm going to stick to my faith and to ignore my feelings. I'm going to stick to my faith and ignore my intelligence. I'm going to give uh, more value to my father's need to keep believing everything that he was believing than to face the reality that I'm not healed, I'm disappointed, I've been cheated. Uh, you see all these things. And we built a kind of explanation, Jesus is going to heal me in another way, and uh, we just have to wait and be patient and be faithful. You know, the kind of things that we do in churches. Yes. <laughs> nobody never talked about that anymore. And okay, I buried it into my deepest uh, layers of my being. And when I broke my leg, uh, it was two and a half years ago now. When I broke my leg, it was because of this genetic disease that I thought was behind me because it's something that was supposed to be quite fixed when I finished my teenage years, which was not the case, uh, obviously. So I broke my leg. And first step, I had to remember this uh, supposedly healing and realize that I was still so angry and so sad and so um, disappointed, remembering it and breaking my leg again. And six weeks after this breaking of my leg, the, the second news that was more terrible uh, happened. I heard the doctor telling me, okay, we, we had to do some analysis of your bone when we made the surgery to fix your leg. And it reveals something totally unexpected. You've got a bone cancer. Wow. And the only uh, way of giving you a one over two chances of survival is maybe, it's not sure, to amputate your leg. So I was totally terrified. I was um, devastated, my wife too. And we went home, we had to think. And uh, the day after I had to do, you know, all this kind of MRI scanner just to see if I had metastasis in other parts of my body and if I had chances to survive or not. And I was during the night totally terrified and full of anxiety. And okay, I did what I teach to people during years. Uh, I began to meditate just to find, to calm a little bit my system. You know, I began to breathe and I had this kind of intuition or, or desire or, or need to use the name of Jesus as a mantra. You know, it's a technique in meditation. You repeat a word and it helps you to, to, to take a step back from you know, the thinking mind that is turning and turning and turning. So I use the name of Jesus as my mantra. And okay, Jesus, inhalation, Jesus, exhalation. And I begin to do that. And very quickly, and to my utmost surprise, I felt 
totally, I can say, surrounded or invaded by a deep, the, the deepest peace that I had ever known. And I was here feeling that peace, feeling, I can say that, that presence of Jesus like never in my whole life. And okay, I was here, you know, like in the eye of the hurricane. And from this place, I was just watching, watching my terror, watching my anger, watching my disappointment, watching the decisions that I would have to make the day after, watching the expectation of these exams and so on. But I had this place from where I could embrace it all, not, um, not suppress it, but really take it with me. And from that place of, of peace, it was very strange, very deep and kind of mystical experience for me. And I was surprised because I'm not the kind of, of guy who has a lot of mystical experiences, you know, I'm quite down to earth and uh, even a bit, uh, I, I, I spent most of my Christian life uh, hoping for mystical experiences and not <laughs> having them, you know. <laughs> so I was here and the day after, I could tell the doctor, okay, I agree that you amputated my leg. Fortunately, we did the exams and okay, no metastasis, uh, the chance of survival was real. And every time I was feeling the, the fear coming back, I could just go back to this breathing and repeating Jesus. And this peace was coming back. During months, I couldn't speak about that without crying. It was so intense. Mm -hmm you know, and okay, it, it kept um, supporting me during all this time when I had to go to surgery, when I woke up without my leg, when I had to begin to walk uh, again, and uh, all the process of recovery. And, you know, to make short, a long story, this experience was a, a big question for me, you know, and um, five weeks after my surgery, we decided with my wife to, uh, to go to a therapy group that we had planned uh, one year ago, and we thought we had to to cancel it because of what was happening to me. And I was re recovering so well that uh, we decided that it was possible to go. So we took the plane from Geneva, Geneva to San Francisco. Oh, wow. And <laughs> came in, uh, in Oregon for a group of therapy that we were planning to attend. My wife is a psychotherapist and it's a very, you know, uh, good therapist with a kind of integral um, way of treating people using body therapy and spiritual, uh, including spirituality, integrating, you know, diverse uh, way of doing therapy. So we, she was very interested in doing that for her professional training. And 
I was very interesting, interested in having the opportunity to go for it. And with these circumstances, it was such a good opportunity for me to try to process what, what was happening to me. Mm -hmm. And I could share this experience, share my uh, memories of my Christian upbringing and ask the question I had, you know, was it a kind of, you know, relapsing in an archaic way of relating to reality? Because mm -hmm. it, it's an obvious question, you know, was it so much, such a difficult moment that I had to go back to the childish way of relating to reality just to find a kind of support, moral support, emotional support? Or was it, uh, was it an authentic spiritual experience? Mm -hmm. Or was it, what was it? And what, I, what did I have to do with that? And so, okay, we could process all this during this therapy. I could, you know, for example, revisit this memory of my healing when I was a child. And it was very, very interesting because I felt, you know, like the, the pieces of the puzzle coming together at this moment. And... Um, I come to the toxic Jesus because this spiritual experience in a way was a kind of a focal point that was helping me to reconsider everything that I had been through in my spiritual journey so far during my evangelical years and after. It was a bit, you know, it, it was something very authentic. I was feeling is it not as something um, childish or uh, relapsed. I was feeling it as authentic, but in the same time, it was giving me a new way of seeing my whole experience. It was a bit like when you, you know, you've got a big stone, and you you put it away and you begin to see what was under the stone and the light that comes under the stone begins to make all the insects and all the little worms that were under the stone, the, the stone crawl in panic because they are exposed to the light. And this experience of deep peace, of connection, with the divine using the name of Jesus, but I think it was a connection with the great mystery, using the name of the expression of the great mystery that was the most familiar to me. <laughs> Helped me to see all these little worms crawling and made me see very clearly all the toxic Jesuses that I describe in my book. And I can say it's the, in this moment of um, seeing these pieces of the puzzle coming together that the book is born and that I see very clearly my list of toxic Jesuses. And I began to work on it and to find the memories that were related with every one of these toxic Jesuses.
So long story to introduce myself. That was great. That was, if I hadn't read the book already, I would want to read it now. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Yes. And I think that's what we're aiming for. We want to get to a point where we've we do the work of, of deconstructing and then we find an authentic way to connect with Jesus that is not born out of trauma, that is not tied to a position, that is not tied to yeah. some institution, but is authentic and is healthy and is not toxic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. the things that I heard you say sound very familiar to me that a lot of what you grew up with was spiritual bypassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a problem, you have you know, unhealth and you just bypass that through spirituality and that ends up being very toxic. Um, And being tied to a position and institution so that you can't actually have an authentic faith because if you ask the wrong questions, you'll be expelled or punished from the community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then think, yeah, we've definitely had that. And thinking that, thinking that you're past something when all of a sudden it comes up, later on and sometimes it is connected to a part of your body which is also something we've noticed yeah i'm wondering if you can tell if you and okay so you had said that in your book by unveiling the toxic jesus another jesus will naturally emerge and that's what you're talking about here that as you strip away all these toxic jesus's you you arrive at this authentic faith where you Mm -hmm. find yourself can you um, talk to us about Jesus, the negator, and how, how does Jesus, um, how does spiritual bypassing lead us to uh, negate ourselves? Yeah. I read a phrase from my book, Jesus, the negator, the negator, who wants us to dismiss our own experience, feelings, and intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I heard the doctor tell to my mother, this leg is not healed. I remember I was 12 years old. I remember being totally blank, you know, for a moment, I almost switched off. And I think it was this reaction of the teenager I was realizing that if he wanted to keep uh, the, if he wanted not to disappoint his father, Mm -hmm. he had to suppress his intelligence he had to suppress his feelings and he had to stop considering the facts that were happening. Because my intelligence was telling me, okay, the doctor is right. So if the doctor is right, everything that happened the day before was a masquerade. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if the people were believing it and even the healer, if he was sincere, he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I had to suppress my emotions and to cast away my pain, to cast away my deep anger, my resentment, probably my hate. 
I had to cast away my sadness, my grief, uh, so many things. And uh, I had to stop looking at the facts. To begin, it's a moment where I subconsciously decided to subvert my intelligence in order to build rationalizations for this twisted way of facing reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is Jesus the negator, the negator. And you know, it was an episode, but my whole upbringing was about casting away what was not allowed, what was not Christian, you know, casting away yes. the bad feelings, casting away the bad emotions. And now uh, I would say that my spirituality is very much inspired by the, the yogic tradition and the, the tantric yogic tradition, which is all about embracing, mm -hmm. embracing the opposites, mm. taking things together, uh, not trying to cast away, for example, the anger or the shame or uh, even the things that look bad, but embracing them taking them with me, sitting with them in meditation and discovering and reclaiming the energy that is into these emotions and feelings and in the same time using my intelligence. And um, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, I, think I, I love that. I really connect with that. Um, it, we, we can construe elaborate um, is to reconcile our beliefs to the facts, but just to be able to embrace the whole thing as a whole, um, to be able to embrace it, um, the anger, the frustration, and to realize the place that it has in our lives. It's just so good. Um, I'm, I'm still trying, learning to do that. Um, yeah. just that the embracing the whole, <laughs> yeah. And feeling, feeling the feelings, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and really that's good. beautiful because that makes us humans. That ma that makes us integrated beings. Yes. And there is yeah. really a life energy into it. You, you know, something I can say is that I've got more life energy now than never in my life before. Mm, yeah. Even with the situation of being with one leg and a lot of difficulties, but at the same time, the, this process is so much healing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's really neat. Um, we wanted to highlight another, another toxic Jesus that you talk about. Um, the, um, the, the magician, uh, really, really interesting to me, that one. Um, you say in the book, you said, um, where unresolved trauma meets religion lies fertile ground for another toxic Jesus, the magician, who expects mm -hmm. things to come from above and wants us to do the same. Yeah. A little bit later, you say faith becomes almost synonymous with passivity and resignation. The only activity mm -hmm. of any real use is prayer. I was just like, wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> How often do we hear that in yeah. the evangelical circle? Um, I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit more about it. I could probably go on. <laughs> yeah, but 
that's the example I had, your, you know, my father, when he had a problem, he had, in a sense, two choices, expecting a miracle or finding his way to resignation and fatalism. Mm -hmm. And these are the two coins of Jesus the magician, <laughs> you know? Uh, the one face of the coin is the all-powerful God that is going to do something to fix things. <laughs> and the other side of the coin is uh, the same all-powerful God and he doesn't do the things we were expecting him to do to fix things. So we have to accept that he he's in control. So we had to submit to it passively and in both uh, in both attitudes i don't use my resources yeah i don't use my intelligence i don't use my capacity not to fix everything not to face everything but i've got some skills some ability some resources i can use them and most of the time it's going to help me to go through things. Yes. And as a species, we did that for tens of thousands of years and we survived and we made it until now. And as individuals, we have resources to face yes. even very, very difficult things. We yes. don't have the resources to, to fix everything and to make things turn the way we want them to turn, but we can, you know, like the surfer when the wave is coming, if he considers the wave, if he has good uh, skills as a surfer, he can orient his body in the right way so that he goes with the wave instead mm -hmm. of being totally uh, upside down because of the wave and losing his, uh, his life because the wave was, was too big. So we can do that. We can see the wave and orient our body and go with the wave. So Jesus, the magician, is, is a very, very tricky and... Um, very, and, uh, yeah. Very uh, present. Very, very present, yeah. Very there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And what, what? when we have turned our back to evangelical Christianity, we keep this mindset yes. and we are going to expect things from others or from destiny or from the law of attraction or from winning at the lottery mm -hmm. and fatalism and we, okay, I'm going to learn patience and uh, we, we rationalize instead of, you know, facing things and okay, what can I do? And yes. using our resources. Yeah. And this connects to me with uh, what you had said at the beginning, that often these uh, toxic Jesuses or these negative ways of thinking connect with trauma, because we talked in the previous podcast about the four responses to trauma, which are fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And this, to me, sounds like the freeze response, that, yeah. okay, there's a terrible situation and I can't deal with it, so I'm just, I'm just going to do nothing. Yeah. And that is a you know, if a grizzly bear is eating you, you need to freeze, right? There, there is a time to freeze. Yeah, yeah. But 
it, it feels as though, um, you know, when we go through traumas, especially childhood traumas, and you mentioned your parents have, have, you know, went through World War II, we develop certain ways, certain patterns that this worked in the past, there was this terrible experience and this worked in the past. And so now this is how I'm going to face all my problems. And then that becomes a problem. And then if you mix that in with spirituality, then all of a sudden you're from the pulpit telling everybody else Mm -hmm. that this is how you deal with your problems. And I do feel as though this is how many of our, um, like there's, there's this idea of passivity that is taught that to me just looks like a trauma response that gets dressed up in religious, um, religious garb. Um, I mean, certainly there is a time to take a deep breath and calm our bodies and not be anxious, but we need to call on our own resources, which I think is something that, that the, you know, the Jesus, the magician, uh, wants to buy we do have the full range of responses available to us yes not only one yes, yes that's true that's true yeah people get stuck on one response all the time yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i want to in the time that's left talk about jesus the puritan because you had mentioned embracing the negative aspects of ourselves um the anger the fear the darkness at, with our evangelical upbringing, of course, the question comes in, well, what about sin? So um, Jesus, the Puritan, wants to turn everything into sin versus virtue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to comment on that? How does, how does Jesus, the Puritan, um, also steal our, our humanity? Jesus, the Puritan, you know, it's this idea at the basis of the Puritan, it's the idea that the, the body is a tool mm. that we have to use in order to reach a goal. Mm. And we've got to submit our body. We've got, we are spiritual beings using a body like we would use a kind of vehicle. Mm-hmm. So the body needs to be disciplined very much and everything that is expressing our incarnation, like sexuality, like desires, like fatigue, like um, weakness, uh, pleasure, everything is suspect because these are things that remind us that our body um, exists. And the Puritan uh, is a kind of sad warrior (laughs) that is always struggling to reach the goal of his own perfection for Jesus or when he's not an evangelical anymore, we can keep this mindset and, you know, using our body to reach uh, performance and things like that. And on the contrary, in in my integrative way of seeing things and of considering myself and spirituality, I am my body. 
my body is me. And uh, I've got to learn every day to treat myself with a little bit more respect and with a little bit more tenderness. Mm-hmm. And I've got to listen to all the messages that my body is, is sending uh, through desires, through emotions. Every emotion is a body emotions. We feel emotions in our bodies through illness, through fatigue, through my needs. And all of this is part of my human and spiritual experience. And all of this is so valuable. And Jesus the Puritan is the anti-incarnation. And it's so sad that, you know, I love Christianity. Right now, I really feel in a kind of... um, I feel the need of listening to every other religion. But I can listen to my religion of origin, that is Christianity, and there is something beautiful in the, the, the mere idea of incarnation, that God becomes a body and embraces this experience of embodiment. So it could be an invitation for Christians to embrace their bodies and to learn to to be so respectful and grateful and tender with this body uh, bodily um, aspect of our existence yeah yeah that's great yeah, yeah. um i'd like to read what you wrote about Jesus the fanatic, because I think this is a really important one to close with. Especially um, now. Especially yes. now. Yes. Um, I want to read what you wrote, and then I'd love to hear you comment on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are a few uh, ex- uh, excerpts from your book. Jesus the fanatic sees a very clean, clear line. On one side side are the saved ones, the true believers, and on the other side are the lost, the unbelievers, and the wicked. One must be sure of the will of God before engaging in any project. Any personal decision risks being an expression of the flesh, quote-unquote, as the autonomous and therefore necessarily sinful will of the human. All joy and pride expose the sin of vanity. Fear is everything. The society that surrounds us is nothing but a vast trap that tries to divert true Christians from the right path. Now, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, there's other people doing good things in your name, Jesus said, if they're not against us, they are for us. Do you want to comment on this tendency to draw these firm lines and say, we are the good people, everybody else is the bad people? Ah, you know, it's such a awful thing because it deprives us of so much opportunities to, um, to grow and to grow in our understanding of the truth. You know, the, the truth, in my opinion, and the great mystery, uh, the divine, are so far from what we can conceive. 
that we always are going to have a partial understanding, a limited view. Uh, and if we stick to our limited view and understanding, we begin to build boxes and to divide each other. And if we begin to listen to others who have different limited understanding and different um, partial view, for example, of the divine, we, we take the opportunity to put together our different understandings and to grow and to reach a, a bigger understanding. It's the classic story of the four uh, mystics that are all around an elephant and they are blind and each one of them is touching the different part of the elephant. So one describes the, the tail, one describes the ear, one describes the, the nose and one describes the belly. And every one of them says, oh, my elephant is totally different from your elephant. I know what is a real elephant. And if they all together begin to, to share their different experiences that are so different, they are beginning to, to read, to go, to go, yeah, to go deeper into the mystery. And in my experience, I've been so much um, enriched and, and blessed and supported in meeting people in the, the pagan world, in the yoga world, in the witchcraft, in Buddhism, uh, what else? Atheists, many atheists have such a, a deep understanding of the fact that our view of God is so limited. And it's really a spiritual understanding and it, it's part of the, yeah, the, the people that we have to listen to in order to, to grow our own understanding. And this understanding is always going to, to be very conscious of the fact that it's unreachable if we talk about the great mystery, but even if we talk about reality, reality is always a bit out of our reach. So we are not going to realize that if we draw clear lines yeah. and if we say, okay, here begins the truth and here it stops. So, you know, it's such um, impoverishing to, to be fanatic. And yeah. mm -hmm. the, the world today is so much divided and uh, it, it's so sad what we see because of this kind of, uh, of behavior and of mindset. Yeah. 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 And we're often confronted with the options that either you believe in absolute truth or you believe in nihilism. That, that there mm -hmm. is no truth. This is what evangelical Christians will tell you, that either you believe in absolute truth like we do or else nothing is true. But actually it's possible to believe in truth and have an open view of I'm learning. Mm -hmm. We're on a journey, we're learning and we're, we're, we're mm -hmm. collecting information from many sources. And I think that's mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you. It's not all black and white. It's not all black and white. That's, yeah. 
this this year that's been kind of my quote of the year is 2020 just like I just want to live in the gray area I want to yeah. we don't know and it's not black and white and that's okay yeah 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 I am um, not to know yeah yes there's freedom in not knowing <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know uh, I think there is no true um, spirituality without a great a great amount of doubt and openness to paradox mm. mm -hmm. yeah we will need to wrap up our time here, but I wanted to read a, a, a quote that you put towards the um, latter part of your book that I really liked. Um, you wrote, the more we are wounded, the more we need care, respect, and love to face and integrate past traumas, neglect, or harmful education. In searching for some caring or answers, we need be particularly subject to toxic beliefs, hoping to find relief in them, but in the end only bypassing what needs to be faced directly, possibly with the help of a good therapist. And I just thought that really summarizes well, like we can be attracted to these toxic Jesuses when really what we need is a good therapist. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I just, I really, appreciate this interview i appreciate all you've shared so much um i appreciate your book just the way it outlines it um and your story through it so personal easy to read but so powerful um thank you thank you very much for sharing for opening your story your personal story and sharing it with us ah, thank you it was great talking with you and knowing you yes it was yeah. yes thank you very much mark and uh, is there a place that people can uh, find your resources and connect with you? Okay, so you can follow me on the Instagram. It's arobaz toxic Jesus the book. And I've got a website. It's very simple. It's uh, www.markhenrysandos.com. Okay. We'll put yeah. the link in the description of the yeah, podcast. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And the book is av available on Amazon. That's probably the easiest place for people to find it worldwide. Um, on Kindle is where I read it. Um, yeah. So just wrap up this podcast and just thank you for um, for listening. <laughs> we'll be back with more podcasts later.